Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Humanizing History Podcast. My name is Nick Downey. And I'm Cliff Boone. And welcome to our first ever episode. So, uh, Cliff, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. We're actually getting it done. How do you feel? We are. Uh, this is a long time coming. I'm excited. How about you? Uh, I, Dude, I'm, I'm stoked. I, I feel like we, I've been talking about podcasts, I don't know, since I met you, which was three years ago, and finally getting to do this. So, yeah, it's exciting. It's it's a good thing. It'll be cool. Yes. It'll be cool. It is. So yeah, I you know we're we're gonna dive into some topics today. Kind of want to go over you know what the show's all about and what we're gonna be talking about today. Yeah. All right. So first, our uh, humanizing history disclosure. Humanizing history is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We'll be exploring what made them important, but our main focus is gonna be who that person was outside of the well-known records. So we're going to be diving deep into those, um, who those people were, what they hated, who they loved, and other less known information about their lives in order to show the world that no one's perfect. We're all human. We all make mistakes. But that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. Cool. So, yeah, so the main goal of this is just to get to know people um, you know, of history on a personal level. And I think this is going to be, going to be fun. So who are we talking about today, Cliff? Well, the first person is going to be Henry Ford, um, the man behind the company, uh, Ford Motor Company. So, uh, yeah, Henry Ford. I'm going to start out with a quote from him, one of his famous quotes. That is, the only true test of values, either of men or of things, is that of their ability to make the world a better place in which to live. So I think that's a really good quote. And we'll see if it holds up once we start getting into things. So <laughs> that, that, yes, <laughs> that will be interesting. Is, is it just face value or is there actually meaning behind it? Yeah, that'll be good. We will see. <laughs> yeah. So to start with, Henry Ford was born July 30th, 1863 in Greenfield Township, Michigan to parents William and Mary Ford. Uh, he had grown up, he had married once and had one child. Uh, when he was a small child, he had a fascination with tinkering and with mechanics and he began to mess with stuff, um, especially watches for fun, um, which eventually gained him a reputation as a watch repairman. So he would repair watches for his friends and neighbors and whoever, just for fun. Um, it didn't even really charge people. He just enjoyed doing it. Isn't that crazy? Like, I feel like all these, all these big wigs like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and all that stuff, they just like from a, from a young age, just picked up stuff and just tinkered with it. Like, I, I never did that. Did you ever do that as a kid? I mean, I messed around with my hands. Like I built crap in the backyard, but it was just two by fours and nails just killing time. I never had a passion like, like he did. So it was never direction in my life. Right. Like this obviously led him to what he became, but no, I never did anything anywhere near this. Yeah. I wonder if we gave our kids like Legos at like the age of two, if they would end up being crazy architects or just nerds that like, Halo and Harry Potter and all that stuff, but whatever. You can't give your kids girls at twos. They'll <laughs> Sorry, I'm a first-time dad. I'm still <laughs> learning this stuff. Uh, so um, Henry Ford, he had a lot of jobs before his major role in the Ford Motor Company. And these included, he was an apprentice machinist. He was a farmer on his family farm. He was a steam engine repairman, which he actually worked on steam engine tractors on his own farm. And from there, a company hired him to repair them because of the experience he had working on his own farm. Uh, he was a sawmill owner and operator. Hmm. 
and an engineer. He actually became chief engineer of a company that now I forget, but he was chief engineer. Um, he even tried his hand at a political career. Someone really pushed him and urged him to go do it. And uh, it ended really swiftly. He just was stomped out and that was the end of it. He decided yeah. to get any more of that. You know, I, when I was reading this beforehand, I, one thing that I didn't really think about, but now that you're talking about it, you wonder what the, the steam engine, like tractors and things looked like. Because whenever I think of vehicles, I think of, or, you know, it, when I think of tractors, I think of, it's just the ugly uncle of like a car, you know, it's, it's, it's the same mechanics and, and such, such, but they had those before, you know, mass produced automobiles. So like, that'd be really interesting to see what that looked like. It, it looks like a real small cylinder with four wheels attached to it. Really? Okay. It's tiny. It looks, it's, it looks like a barbecue grill, one of those big cylindrical ones with a couple bells and whistles and giant wheels. Really? Yeah. Did, you, did it run very long with just being steam powered? I have no idea. I okay. really don't know. So Interesting. contact Henry Ford, he'd know. <laughs> yeah, let's have a little seance and contact Henry Ford. <laughs> All right. So Ford seemed to have an idea on how people should run their lives. He kind of had an idea of what they should enjoy, the morals that they should have, down to which colored car they should drive. Uh, he stated once about the Model T that any customer can have a car painted any color they want as long as it's black. So that was just the kind of individual that he was. He had a, a way things were supposed to be, and it was my way or the highway. Okay. So The thing that most that is most notable of Ford's many accolades is that he brought the vehicle to everyday Americans through a new form of building, the assembly line. So the one th cool thing here is the assembly line, like, that is used everywhere now. Like it's not just vehicles. So this really revolutionized just manufacturing as a whole. Uh, I don't think we would be anywhere uh, in, in the industry, you know, any, any sort of manufacturing industry without Ford uh, just because of how easy it is. And have you ever watched those assembly lines at like Chevy or, or Ford? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they're pumping out ridiculous. I would, it'd be interesting to see how many cars they, they put out. But I mean, it, it's, it's like a work of art almost. So well, I think back in the day when he started this, he was pumping a car out like every 24 minutes. Right. And this is back, geez, in what, 1914? Right. Oh gosh. I, I need to, I need, uh, I wish I could remember the stat, but compared to like some makers, it was taking them multiple days just to pump out one car. Yeah. So j just think of how that would propel you forward and why Ford is such is still a big name. Yeah. Um, you know, back, back when, when these cars were being pumped out, I mean, there was so many different uh, manufacturers and, and people trying to get into this booming industry. Um, but very few actually made it through. Uh, and Ford is, is a standalone company. You know, that I believe they're still standalone. Do you know if they are? You know, I think they're standalone. They own a lot. I don't okay. think they're owned okay. by anybody else. But they're not like a conglomerate like GM or anything like that. I mean, they're Ford. Ford owns, you know, Lincoln, Mercury. Right, right, right. But, but I, a lot I don't of, think anybody owns them. Right. And I don't know if we, I don't know if we talk about it here, but uh, one big thing uh, with Ford standing alone, like we were just talking about, is back then, even as we see now, uh, but GM was buying up everything. You know, if, if GM saw something that was making any headway, they were trying to buy it up. Uh, they even tried to buy Ford and Ford was like, 
screw you guys. It's my way or the highway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> F you get out of the way, you know? <laughs> so anyway, sorry, went off on a tangent there. Uh, through this bit of genius, uh, Ford was able to bring what was essentially a wealthy man's toy into the home of the average American family. Uh, Ford had an economic mind. He knew that if he paid his employees well and priced vehicles within their reach, they would all want to purchase one. This would keep money flowing into the Ford company as well as the local economy while also bringing outsiders into the area looking for work to work for such a great company. With so many more vehicles produced, service stations started to pop up. Roads were being built with more roads. Uh, people were traveling further. Motels were, were popping up. You get your, you know, your diners, your di- not, not Denny's, but you know, those, those, uh, those street side diners were popping up everywhere. Uh, this led to a monumental creation of jobs in all categories across all the U.S. Um, and eventually the entire world. Uh, so this went up just beyond North America. I mean, we there's cars in every single nation. I mean, the only place you won't find a car is probably Antarctica. And you find snowmobiles. <laughs> you will find a Denny's though. No way. I'm just kidding. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Gotta have that moons no. over Miami. <laughs> uh, yes, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Miami would be a good one. Uh, moons over penguins. I don't know. That, that's really a bad joke. <laughs> uh, Ford would eventually go to own a multitude of companies, as we've already mentioned. Um, but even outside of the the automobile industry. Uh, Timber production, sawmills, multiple mines, a railroad. He even had his own village built in the Amazon to produce rubber in order to reduce company costs for tires. And so we talked about that earlier. Um, go into a little bit more about that village. So um, he found a spot in the rainforest and he thought he would build a, a city there, have the indigenous people work for him, and they would just produce rubber trees um, or rubber plants, whatever. The issue is um, when you try to produce rubber trees like that, uh, it causes them to degrade. So they end up like rotting while they're growing. I'm not sure why, if it's just because they're too wet and they're trying to pack them too close together to farm them or what, but it just failed. So he just kind of dipped out, just kind of by Felicia and left (laughs) with these people (laughs) who, you know, a year before they were living in huts and now they live in a city they're supposed to be working for when he just dipped out and they're like, yeah, this won't work. See ya. So it, it was it's pretty small. But. So not only did Henry Ford create jobs, he also started the destruction of the rainforest. Well, he didn't start just, it, but he definitely contributed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, man. And I just think it's funny, like, like was it was it just was it like a village that he created and brought people in, or was it like an established like huts and natives and he just took over? Do you know? So from what I understand, he found a spot and built a village on it. Okay. So there were indigenous people living in the area and he just built a city and said, you live here now. And said, you work for Ford here. Here's a rubber plant. <laughs> so I wonder what he, I wonder what he paid him. Oh, was it buttons? I'm sure bananas, something small. Well, he, and he, Obviously, I, I don't know what the, what it looked like, or, or is there? I don't know if there's pictures or anything about it, but 
that'd be really interesting to see. Cause I mean, if they were going from an impoverished, you know, rundown village and, you know, this guy comes in and has nicer living and just goes, Hey, you work for me, but I give you all of this stuff. That'd be interesting to see. That'd be an interesting uh, concept to see if he, he did anything like that. So take a guess on the name of it, of the village. Um, Get it right. I owe you a beer. Uh, Camp Silver Lake. <laughs> Fordlandia. For God. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. So if you want a quick background, I got the Wikipedia. I can read it here if you'd like it. Fortlandia. That kind of sounds like something from the movie Cars. Like It does. <laughs> All right, give 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 me some background. Cool. In uh, the 1920s, the Ford Motor Company sought uh, they sought to elude a British monopoly in the supply of rubber, uh, mainly used for producing tires and other carports, car parts. Henry Ford looked for alternatives and a permanent place to establish a colony to produce rubber. Central America was considered. However, information about the rubber trees in the Amazon was uncovered, and this, along with other factors, changed his plans. So uh, negotiations with the, bleh, with the Brazilian government started. And during a visit by the then governor of the state of Para, Dion Cio Bintes, don't you know, crucify me for that, uh, to the United States to meet Ford. An agreement was signed and the American industrialist received an area of 2.5 million acres. Uh, he called Boa Vista and the agreement exempted Ford from taxes on the exportation of goods produced in Brazil. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, he decided to build a uh, village there. That's awesome. I mean, it probably wasn't awesome, but Ford had a way of sticking it to the man with a lot of things. So this is just another, another example of that with him not wanting to pay the Brits or it was, was it Europe? Was it British or was it European? It was, was yeah, the, Brit, Britain. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if we'll dive into it. I don't think we do, but um, Henry Ford also just to create the automobile, he, there was, and I don't remember the name of the individual. Um, I'll try to see if I can find it, but there was a, a guy in Europe who had created kind of a prototype and had patented the crap out of the, combustion engine in the you know vehicles as a whole so all of these companies that were coming up in the early 1900s were paying ridiculous amounts of money uh to this guy in order to actually make any sort of of automobile because of if they wouldn't he would just you know take his lawyers and sue the living pants off of them mm -hmm. um and when this gentleman found out that Ford was starting to make vehicles, went after him. Um, and Ford was like, no, screw you. I'm not paying it. Like, and I, if that were to happen today, that, that wouldn't happen today, you know, any sort of patent and you'd be going to, you'd get, you'd lose. You, you'd, you know, there, there'd be no way to fight that in court. But yeah, back then he was like, screw it. Nope. Not going to pay it. And look where he's at now. And we don't even know, you know, it's not a household name, this other dude, but. Of course yeah. not. Yeah. But Ford is. And if Ford had, brought, had followed the rules, where would he be? Right. Which is interesting. His, his tenacity and his, you know, his drive um, got him places. 
good and bad. And then that's the thing. You could say, yeah, yeah tenacity and drive is great, but if you're breaking the law, you know, even if you're being tenacious about it, you're still breaking the law. If that right. was my patent, I'd be pissed off. True, but I, I hate saying this. I, I bet you there I bet you there are many things that we enjoy today or have enjoyed that the only reason they're existent are you know, existing today is because of something illegal. Not saying Absolutely. you should go and do illegal things, but it's just the nature of it. Just like ice ice baby. That, yes. Under pressure. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Have you ever heard like total side tangent? Have you ever heard Vanilla Ice's like explanation on that? Yes, yes, I have. It's it's there's, not dun 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 dun. It's did did Come on, dude. There's one little increase, and it's like no, you're there's not. He'll probably be on his deathbed and be like. I stole it from Queen. <laughs> well, I don't know. His deathbed might come sooner than later. <laughs> Apparently, he uh, he got in some trouble in Canada a while ago. So I don't really remember. But it was well, he's been bankrupt like stuff. three times. So, yeah, well, then he went into building houses. Like right, was right. He's, houses. <laughs> right. He's got his own shows on like HGTV. <laughs> <laughs> this this white guy with tattoos everywhere trying to act all gangster building your house you know uh, i would hire him just to be like make my house nice nice baby <laughs> just just to see a look on his face so all right back on track a little bit here yep yep so ford was a pacifist a lot of people don't know this he he hated every aspect of war he saw it as a waste of resources um so he was a pacifist um and staunchly against war um, however, he did help the American war effort in World War I uh, by producing tractors. I think he actually made the tractors for Europeans, for Britain, okay. uh, for England. Um, okay. But he produced trucks, weapons, even engines for planes and uh, engines for anti-submarine boats. Um, in the same vein, in World War II, he agreed to build engines for Britain. Um, and in America, he even built an entire aircraft facility to produce B-24s. And actually was, at the time, was the largest assembly line in the world in 1944. He even produced 50% of the world's um, B-24s during World War II. That's crazy. So Now, I mean, it, it's, it's funny, you know, he's a pacifist. But when there's money involved, you wonder, like, it'd be really interesting to sit down with him. Obviously, he's going to say, oh, no, I, I made all of these because Hitler was an awful person. Or was I think Hitler was an awful person. We'll learn later that Henry Ford may have thought differently. Um, but, you know, you wonder if he was in it because he was fighting evil or if it was just, hey, dollar bills, y'all. You know, I, you got to think, if he was such a staunch pacifist, he wouldn't have done it. He had the money to say, no, I don't want to do this. But at the same time, our country was a different time, a different entity back then. Everybody was patriotic. Everybody had the same ideals. It wasn't 50% voted this way, 50% voted that way. When, when we had picked a president, then 90% of people voted for that president, whether they were, you know, liberal or conservative. At the same time, everybody, not everybody, most people were very pro-America. So if he was to say, I'm not helping build planes to fight Hitler, you know, the, his numbers might have fallen if, uh, right. or some cars. I was just going to say that, you know, it could have all been a marketing ploy, to, not ploy, but 
yeah, if, if back then you said, no, I'm not going to help. Oh, gosh, you would have been driven out of. You're out a of communist? Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let's get into McCarthy. Uh, we're getting there. Um, <laughs> so, but his hiring practices, for me, this was absolutely revolutionary. Um, it, Ford regularly hired black people, women, and even disabled for his workforce. Um, and even more shocking, he gave them equal pay. Uh, it, it, at least the men, he would even offer a $5 a day pay rate. Now that did come with stipulations, but this means that at that time, you could go work for Ford and make $5 a day as we'll say a 25 year old black man, but you couldn't find that rate anywhere else in America um, for a, a white man. So Ford was willing to pay, you know, a black man, a woman, even a disabled worker, the same amount that he's paying everybody else. Um, and that's just unheard of in, you know, the 19 teens and 1920s. So um, actually, in fact, Ford went from 50 black employees in 1916 to over 5,000 black employees in 1923, which again, I mean, it's unheard of. So within seven years, mm-hmm. he a hundred times more. That's yeah, crazy. Absolutely. So, I mean, he seems like a great person, right? From his accomplishments and how he hires people. Right. Well, and, and I, I think you also, it, it, you got to look also at where he was at. You know, he was in Detroit, right? Uh, Michigan. I don't know if it was Detroit. Let me look real quick. I believe it was, but, you know, today that's a very, you know, black community. Absolutely. So you wonder if, if part of that reason is whether, you know, African-Americans already had a big community there and he was just tapping into that. Or if, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that, you know, African Americans moved to Michigan and to Detroit just to get these jobs. And that's very possible. That's right. very possible. Um, just a cursory search, Ford moved production to a massive industrial complex in uh, Dearborn, Michigan. But I don't know where it was before that. What do you think? While we're, while, while we're looking this up, should we take a quick break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. All right, fantastic. And we are back talking about uh, Henry Ford. So far, we've covered uh, his accomplishments, kind of who he was. He was a pacifist and his uh, hiring practices. What are we going to go into next, Nick? Uh, So we are going to go into the Ford's morality department. So this is a really interesting topic. And as we go along, you'll see, I think the intentions were great, but the delivery of it was horrendous, but let's go into this. So in 1914, Ford formed his social department. Uh, It was a group of 50 investigators and support staff to maintain employee moral standards, both on and off the clock. So he didn't, he didn't just care about what you did between nine and five. This guy wanted to know what your entire life was all about. So that's kind of freaky big brother. Uh, If you met, if you met certain criteria and continued to uphold Ford's rules, 
you could make more than double the daily wage. So you went, so if you were a goody goody two shoes and did everything right, the Ford way you would, or sorry, most employees started off at two thirty-four, So $2 and 34 cents a day. If they were the goody two shoes, they'd make $5 a day. So in our comment, you know, in our daily 2020 mine two, you know, 234 and five bucks were like, okay, that's not a big difference, but let's talk about it in, in today's numbers. We're talking that you would go from making $60 a day to $130 a day. We're talking more than double just if you upheld these rules. So cool. You'd think you're great. You know, this sounds like a great plan. Let's go into it a little bit more. So in order to get this incentive, you agreed to have invest investigators enter your home unannounced to check for cleanliness, to question you about your spending habits, your marriage, even how much alcohol you consumed. I'd be bummed. Uh, oh, I know. You're drinking right now, so you would be <laughs> screwed. Uh, they checked with your children's school to make sure they were attending class. They even monitored your bank account to make sure that you were making deposits. So that's interesting there. Like, are they just afraid that you're just like getting your paycheck and just blowing it? That was part of it. Um, the other part of it that I've heard was uh, they had their own bank. Ford had. Okay. So they wanted to make sure that you were putting money in there. These banks make money off your money. So if you're putting money in there, they're making money off of it. So they wanted to make sure that they're still making money off of the money they've already paid you. Ah, that's crazy. So, so it's like, yeah, make sure you're putting that money away so that we can go and make loans and go make money off of you. With, Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's insane. I didn't realize that. Uh, it wasn't all negative. In addition to making far greater than average, uh, you, were able, you were also able to take advantage of low. Okay, this is where the bank come in, comes in. Take advantage of low interest rates, free legal service, and a team of doctors and nurses to help take care of you and your family. Ford later rebuked the idea of paternalism in the workplace in his autobiography. So is, with yeah, that, essentially what this is, is he's being your dad, holding your hand, telling you everything that he wants you to do. And then later on, he's like, ah, I'm just kidding. I'm starting to get this idea that Ford wasn't, yes, he was determined and had his, his way to the highway, but I feel like he has this God complex. Yeah. You kind of, I kind of get that too. Like everything has to be his way. But would you like, you know, if I were to walk into a job and they told me, Hey, if you were, if you're more of a moral person, we'll pay you more. I'd be like, great. You know, I, I consider myself a very moral person. Uh, but would you, would you do this? If you look at the average wage in the city that you and I live in, it's about $50,000 a year. If I went from making 50,000 to a hundred thousand, like that just because I drink a little bit less and I quit gambling so much. And I mean, I see a lot of people saying, Hey, I'll do it. I see a ton of people doing it. But would you want somebody just coming into your house? Like, it's not like, Hey, you know, next Thursday at 5 PM, we're going to come over to your house. No, it's hi, we're here and we're going to take a look at everything. And what if you, what if you're like, I don't know, what if you just have a bad relationship with one of these investigators? Yeah. Oh, you're screwed. They, you're screwed. Yeah. 
So I, I would love to say, no, I wouldn't do that. I, you know, I stand up for what I believe in and I will do what I want. But to be honest, if someone's going to double my pay, I, I don't know that I'd say no, to be yeah. completely honest. <laughs> well, especially if you consider yourself, you know, a good person. And I, I really do, you know, right. and I've known you for years. Um, I think the both of us would fit into this fairly well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I just, yeah, I'd have a hard time. I, I, knowing you, I think you would have a hard time because if he disagreed with any little thing that you did, you would lose it. You would lose <laughs> your ever-loving mind. You would go from being out an upstanding citizen to a murderer in about 20 <laughs> seconds. I'd let him choose the caliber, though. <laughs> uh, so one thing that came out of this also was um, his, Ford formed his Ford English School, which you can read up on this. This was amazing. Um, it was a school for immigrants to learn English. And he created this because he didn't want accidents to happen uh, in the factory. And, you know, a factory accidents are going to happen. And his idea was, if you have people speaking five different languages, all trying to communicate with each other, trying to yell, hey, look out, is going to sound different. And people aren't going to get out of the way. Accidents are going to happen. So we formed a school to teach immigrants to learn English. So if you're going to work for Ford, you had to learn English. It had to be spoken on the, the factory floor. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw this, this actually became a very successful school. In fact, if you had a diploma from his uh, Ford English school, you could use that as a prerequisite for almost the entirety of the citizenship test. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's a huge thing. So it wasn't only people who wanted to work for Ford that wanted to go there, but in order to go there, you had to work for Ford, which means he had a steady stream of people coming in. And, and it's interesting, you know, this is something I think that's lot that has been lost for a long time, not necessarily the English school, but just uh, in companies and you're starting to see it again, but Ford would offer everything, you know, he would really treat his employees or give his employees the opportunity to succeed in more than just money, you know, health, banking, schools. And I feel like he saw that if he spent money on his employees, it would improve his bottom line where what it is. Yeah. Where a lot of companies, especially in the last 30 years have cut back so much. Um, and people just kind of feel like they're just there to get a paycheck. Now you're starting to see it, you know, kind of a renaissance with this whole thing with, you know, Google, the Googles and, and those types of companies where they're getting top talent because they're providing meals, they're providing great healthcare, they're providing, oh gosh, nap pods, you know, all these different things. Um, so, and I, I, I think this is probably revolutionary for this time as well, because I mean, you got to think not too long ago, you know, it was the industrial revolution and you had, you know, meat packing plants where people were losing limbs and, you know, you had people in the seamstress industry that were getting their fingers chopped off. And yet Ford's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to teach you guys English and teach you to try to prevent injury and things like that. So and it's really interesting. Part of me really hopes that he was just, hey, a good person, and he doesn't want people hurt, and so that's why he's pushing for this. But the logical side of me says he was doing this exactly like you said for his bottom line, because that's going to cost him money. The assembly line's going to have to stop if somebody, you know, has a, a body fall on a car body fall on him. 
So he would rather have you speak English and pay for it than have you lose a leg and have to lose the cost of four vehicles. Does that make him a bad person though? I don't know. I don't think I'm there to judge for that because I can't <laughs> say I'd do the same thing. If I ran a business, I'd want the you know most amount of money that I could. And at the same time, the other people are gaining from it also. So is it a symbiotic kind of thing? I would say that. Yeah, 100%. So, all right. So here's where we dive into more of the, the stuff that shocked me <laughs> as I was learning about this. Henry Ford had a, a bit of a anti-Semitic streak to him. So um, this is a quote. Uh, in 1918, Henry Ford purchased his hometown newspaper, the Dearborn Independent. And a year and a half later, he began publishing a series of articles that claimed a vast Jewish conspiracy was infecting America. The series ran in the following 91 issues. Ford bound the articles into four volumes that he titled The International Jew and distributed half a million copies to his vast network of dealerships and subscribers. And this wasn't just, oh, it's in the dealership. Um, he told them that they have to give them to every person who comes in. Every car <laughs> that is sold has a copy of the newspaper in it. So that's just people are driving home in their brand new, you know, model. I don't, I think model T at this time, it may have been the model a, but they're driving home in their brand new car with their, <laughs> with Martha sitting next to me and George and June behind us. And we're reading the paper that he gave us. Look at this. Oh, the Jew. I, it just, I, I was so shocked. So um, this this paper. Can you imagine driving home and like, I don't know your 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 Ford pickup and getting a magazine today that's like, oh the LGBTQT plus you know community you know it, it this is crazy like this is so hard for me to think of. What a rash of bastards! Yeah right right. <laughs> yeah, people wouldn't stand for it. There would be such an uproar that dealership would be shut down. Oh right, hundred percent. So. Um, the, the newspaper, it started innocently enough, though. Um, you could even say it was interesting, down to earth, kind of Americana about it. Um, the first few editions I actually looked, I read through some of them. Uh, they had a down-home feel to them. They had headlines like, American ships manned by American tars, and Central Park, New York, after an all-night storm. Another one was Pennsylvania mountain scene, early morning, which is just a beautiful picture of a mountain in Pennsylvania, right? On the cover. Mm -hmm. It had uh, monarchs of the American forest. They were ancient when Columbus was a child. And these are just giant redwood trees. Right. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, and then there was the issue that came out, uh, actually, almost 100 years, 100 years tomorrow. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. May 22nd, 1920. With the headline, The International Jew, The World's Problem, <laughs> which talks about how the Jew, quote unquote, controls a disproportionate amount of trade and business, how the Jew was price fixing the cotton industry by lowering prices in London to drive down prices in the U.S., among other just blatantly anti-Semitic rhetoric. Um, if you'd like, I'll throw a link in to the show notes so that you can look at these newspapers. Um, if you'd like, I, some of them are interesting to look at until you get to the Jew hating portions, which are just kind of sick and gross. But so it's really, so I, when I was doing my, re doing some research on this, this one caught my attention. So in Ford's third edition, or sorry, volume three of Ford's, the international Jew series, 
he writes about jazz music and listen to this and this is an excerpt from it many people have wondered whence come the waves upon waves of musical slush that invade decent homes and set the young people of this generation imitating the drivel of morons popular music is a jewish monopoly jazz is a jewish creation the mush slush the sly suggestion the abandoned sensationness of sliding notes are of jewish origin screw jazz music because the jews created it sorry this end quote was a little bit ago after the jewish origin but i mean (laughs) it's like it's like when your grandpa not your grandpa but just like the old guy goes oh oh, all that black rap music is ruining the world like that's basically what they're saying here that jewish jazz music When you think of jazz music, do you think of Jewish people? Not in the least. (laughs) I really, really don't. Um, I think of New Orleans. To be completely honest, I don't know what else. I don't listen to jazz, really. But, I mean, what, Kenny G, maybe? Is he jazz? (laughs) Yes. He's Jewish. Is he Jewish? I'm pretty sure he is. Maybe he's a part of this. Oh, there we go. There's proof. Illuminati. I mean, he's in it. (laughs) But no, I just thought that was ridiculous. That horrible Jewish jazz music. What, just what a bunch of horse crap. Yes. Like, I guess what it must have been is so many people saw black people enjoying jazz and said, well, jazz is obviously the devil. And who's the devil? Well, Jews are the devil. So, you know, Jews created jazz. There we go. We'll just, you know, kick <laughs> everyone down a peg. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> so... Once I thought this couldn't get any worse, I started reading, you know, about the, uh, the international Jew, all of world's problem. I found out uh, what I call the Hitler connection. So Hitler liked Henry Ford. Um, in fact, for Ford's 75th birthday, Adolf Hitler invited him to Germany to uh, be awarded the Grand Cross of the Supreme Order of the German Eagle. So he didn't deny the award, but he did decide not to go to Germany for it. Um, So the award was still given to him, and it is an award given to diplomats and prominent figures that were sympathetic to Nazi ideals. Uh, There's actually a photo of this, I'll include in the show notes also, um, of uh, Henry Ford accepting his um, award, if you want to call it. Um, and speaking in 1931 to a Detroit news reporter, Hitler said that he regarded Ford as his inspiration, explaining his reason for keeping Ford's life-size portrait next to his desk. Uh, Stephen Watts wrote that Hitler revered Ford, proclaiming even, I shall do my best to put his theories into practice in Germany. Uh, He even modeled the Volkswagen, what he called the people's car, on the Model T. Um, And another really interesting fact you can find is he is the only American named in Mein Kampf. Uh, And and what he wrote is, quote, today there is one great man, Ford, who has preserved his independence and is still irritating the Jews, unquote. And now later editions of Mein Kampf remove the name Ford Uh, We haven't figured out if it's because Ford requested it um, or if Hitler removed it because later on Ford publicly apologized to the Jewish people 
um, for the international Jew in 1927. Um, <laughs> what do you say? So crazy. Like, so part of, you know, the first time that you told me about this whole Mein Kampf thing, I, I, I was like, no, this can't be real. So I'm actually looking right now at a photo of Henry Ford receiving the Grand Cross of the German England, or German Eagle from Nazi officials in 1938. Yeah. He had a straight up ceremony in Dearborn. Oh, yeah. And it was on his 75th birthday. Uh, the presentation was made by Karl Kapp, German consul in Cleveland. Yeah. And Fritz Keller. Yeah. So uh, when did the war start? What was that? 41? 39. No, no. America got into it in 39. Or in 41. So I 41. think it started okay. in 39. Okay. So this he was presented with it right before the war. Yes. Yeah. And this is where I got to get a little bit more polished yeah. up on my history. So is, it was in 39 is when uh, Nazi invaded Poland. Okay. So, yeah, you wonder, you wonder if there was any inkling of, of how horrible Hitler was at that time. I don't think yet there was. Um, but what's weird is there were Nazi consults in America. Like, and if you look back at our history a little bit, there was even American Nazi parties, mm-hmm. a political movement of Nazis in America. And you right. think, how can this happen? What kind of country was this? And then you look back and see that one of our, you know, the man who's probably the father of the middle class uh, is, you know, meeting with Nazis and <laughs> accepting an award from them. Right, right. Well, and the other thing too is, we probably still had, you know, consuls and things in the U S because at that point, Hitler was probably just, Oh, he's that crazy guy over in Germany. You know, he, nothing, he wasn't a, he wasn't a threat until he started the invasion of Poland and, and, and doing all those things. So not justifying this, at, you know, at, at all, you know, he's still, you know, Henry Ford was still obviously anti-Semitic, anti-Jew. Um, but this is crazy. Yeah. So what are your final thoughts? What do you think about Henry Ford as a whole? If you wrap everything up. It, it's, it's, it's tough because I think Henry Ford, I, I, I don't think the U S or the world in general would be where it is today without Henry Ford. I think there's a lot of things that he contributed to now. It, I think he was, I think he had good intentions for a lot of the things he did. Um, was there money involved? Was he, was his bottom line getting bigger because of these great things that he was doing? Yes. But I think he was, I think he was a good man with one little hiccup, you know? Uh, I think if you look at it as a whole, he, he hated Jew, He hated the Jewish population and that's, that's evil. And the fact that, <laughs> You got to be somewhat evil to be in a, you know, a document that Hitler creates calling, you know, yeah. saying like, ah, I'm inspired by this man. So there clearly was an evil side to Henry Ford and I'm not calling him a saint, but I also don't think we'd be where we're at today without Henry Ford. So I, I agree to, uh, I agree a lot. Um, I mean, geez, I've owned what Ford, five Ford vehicles. <laughs> Yep. And I had no idea who he was before. And obviously the company's different now. Um, but 
I don't know. I, I never would have thought that he would have been this person. When you look up forward, you think, you know, the guy, he invented the automobile, which he didn't, but that's what I thought before I started looking into this. I, I thought he was just a good guy, a smart guy who helped, you know, move the world forward. Um, I was shocked to find out all of this. But, yeah, it's, it's really, really hard to say he was a good person. Right. When he is in Mein Kampf, he did accept, you know, the, the Order of the German Eagle Award for being, what was it, revolutionary or in, an inspiration to Hitler, which I just, right. I don't know if I could say he was a good person. <laughs> right. right. It's one thing to say, hey, you deserve this. Another thing to say, hey, I'm accepting it. So, right. I mean, well, this is... This no, kind of shows Sorry. why I know you're fine. This is why I'm excited about this podcast is the fact that this is stuff you would never learn in history class. This is stuff that you wouldn't, you know, there's very, all the documentaries or docuseries that I've watched around Henry Ford never mentions this. Yeah. It's and history is kind of whitewashing it away from you. Right. Right. And so am I still going to buy Ford? Yes. I very much enjoy Ford vehicles. Sorry out there to all you Chevy lovers, but um, I, I do I do like myself a good Ford. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's harder than I. But he is an he is an inspiration to the fact that he created an empire. Um, but it looks like he may have contributed to a second empire that he didn't really. Uh, Let's just intend I think on. That we can just say he was, uh, you know, a confused entrepreneur because <laughs> yeah. he, he had a lot of good that he did I think mm-hmm. um, but yeah you know there was a couple bad things that he did also which he did come out and apologize for all of this um, also later on in life so you can't you know we've all done things that we're not proud of this is just a really 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 big thing that he says he wasn't proud of yeah. was he legit was he genuine who knows but he did apologize right, right. So. Sorry, I know this is backing up a ton and you're wanting to wrap this up, but uh, you wonder if part of the reason why he did put so much effort into World War II was because of the guilt. If he had any guilt and was like, was like, crap, like I just accepted an award from this, you know, from Hitler, you know, if I you know, if I don't fight this or, you know, I feel horrible now, you know, I got to destroy him. Yeah. And three years after the award. Right. So, yeah, I never thought about that. I never made that connection. Obviously we won't know, but that'd be really interesting to see. Yeah, it would be. Well, Hey uh, folks, give us your thoughts. Let us know what you thought. Um, and yeah, who do you think we should do? Give us, uh, give us your opinion on who you'd like to know the truth behind. You know, what, what historical person do you want to learn more about? Nick, final word? You know what? I'm excited. Um, glad, I'm happy to see where this goes. And I uh, just want to thank everybody for, for listening in. And, well, you know, you'll hear from us soon. Perfect. All right. Have a good night, folks. We'll see you.